Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, a podcast with Tom Fox and Mikhail Ryder-Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe. Mikhail Ryder-Gordon and myself continue our exploration of all things Wirecard with our 18th episode where we look at some of the gaps in compliance and at those companies who either facilitated Wirecard or doing business with Wirecard. It's a fascinating exploration. I know you will enjoy it. Thanks, Tom. Great to be back. This true recounting of the comedy of errors that was the handling of Wirecard continues. And listeners, strap in. It's going to be another wild ride. We're going to stay on last week's theme of revolving doors because lack of transparency and lobbying by former government officials facilitates crime, corruption, and corporate malfeasance. And beyond all those great reasons, why stay on this theme? Because, as you'll hear in a moment, in the Wirecard case, these revolving doors appear to have actively encouraged the company's myriad of crimes. A lot of Wirecard dirty laundry appears to have been stuffed unwashed in various and sundry German and Austrian cupboards, and now that stench has started to reach the noses of the respective parliaments and is being pulled out of the cupboards. Let's start with our favorite fool in this saga, Felix Hoffeld. You know, he of Boffin, he of Hoffeldisms, and outright denial. Well, this week, the German government had to appear to do something at long last, so they sacked Hoffeld. Well, he hasn't been helping himself with respect to his response to the Bundestag's I seek inquiries. Unsurprisingly, they've been peppering Boffin with questions, demanding explanation beyond just, how did you idiots miss this so badly? Such as, how do you possibly explain away your own people, the regulators, trading in wirecard shares? We've heard this question for the past couple of months. The problem is Huffeld. He's like a little schnauzer with a bone. He just won't let go. He has repeatedly asserted that Boffin were victims. Yes, that's right, Boffin. The regulator was duped. On foreign. Yeah. Only a week ago, Huffeld was telling the IC that he thought Boffin was the target of a complex plot perpetrated by Wirecard in connivance with short sellers. But this wasn't a new conspiracy theory for our Felix. <laughs> no. Even in the summer of 2020, when Wirecard had acknowledged the missing billions, Huffeld saw a nebulous plot afoot. He even went so far as to tell Wirecard's board chair, Thomas Eichelman, that the missing billions, easily a 50% chance that this was the doing of the short sellers, all trying to make a fast buck. Uh-huh. And then, of course, Boffin's bizarre response of imposing a ban on short sellers, just Wirecard stocks, which, as the head of the Bundesbank pointed out, was both unprecedented and unwarranted. So really the head of the Financial Regulatory Authority in Germany essentially thought he was seeing shadowy figures in raincoats meeting in dark parking garages, illuminated only by the glow of their cigarettes, all plotting to attack Wirecard share price because, you know, they didn't have anything better to do. He went so far as to claim back in 2016 that because most of the short sellers appeared to be Israeli and British, it must be a coordinated attack. Okay, I'm not even touching the whole German conspiracy theory involving Israeli thing. Ugh, yike. Now, some of these bizarre incidents were recounted in telephone logs the IC has been collecting. Really, they've been collecting on all manners of encounters between German government officials and Wirecard. Oh yes, there's much more to come from those logs, but you just have to wait and be patient, listeners. Okay, back to Felix. He did some time ago at least admit that Boffin could have done a bit more with respect to Wirecard and that this whole business of Boffin employees trading in Wirecard shares, literally up to the moment of its collapse, had perhaps bad optics. Now, the AFD party had issued a press release back in early December saying, after the last few weeks, eh, Huffield, he can't be, he can't continue to be president of the Boffin. We call on Scholz to sack him. And then going on to observe Huffield stood in the, quote, way of a new beginning, and that Huffield's learning curve was asymptomatically snuggling up to the zero line. 
<laughs> That's a direct quote. Now, Huffeld has defended Boffin's actions to the bitter end, even going so far as to say he would do exactly what he did all over again. No regrets. So, he hasn't done himself any favors. Well, at long last, the IC exerted sufficient pressure on the government, and a few days ago, Felix was removed from his position. He was fired this past Friday, January 29th. Goodbye, Herr Hofeld. Here at the Wirecard Saga, we'll miss you. You gave us such joy with your misplaced confidence and funny little Hofeldisms. Now, the German financial paper Business Insider had sought from the Ministry of Finance, where Boffin nestles in, just how much salary Hoffeld earned and would be paid out upon his firing. Boffin, who missed up again, refused to answer. As Business Insider said, um, a surprising answer? Uh, you know Hoffeld's head of a public authority, right? Transparency, obligation to report, any of that ring a bell? But that wasn't the end of it. Whilst the salaries of the heads of government are publicly available, it turns out what is posted for public consumption, well, those may not be the most accurate of numbers. That's right. It has come out that Hoffelds and other heads of German public entities earn more than what is publicized. The Bundestag was not impressed. The IC said, quote, It is grotesque that Boffin and Mr. Hoffeld do not make public what Mr. Hoffeld receives in payments. Boffin's a public authority, not a secret society, and then called on Schultz to institute full transparency. Now, it had already been reported back in July that all six members of Boffin's board of directors received a total of 1.3-something million euros in 2020. Well, so that information was found in Boffin's budget. It wasn't a secret. This meant that Hoffeld appeared to be earning at minimum somewhere in the range of 224,000 euros. Now, regarding Huffeld's firing, MP Fabio Damasi opined that it was completely unacceptable that Huffeld should receive any extra severance pay, or as he put it, get his nasty job gilded. He then went on to suggest that Mr. Huffeld should be remunerated in wirecard stock options. <laughs> so, as Felix exited stage left, so too did another individual from Boffin because one of the last nails in Huffield's job coffin was noticed the day before his firing that Boffin had filed with the Stuttgart Public Prosecutor's Office a criminal complaint against a Boffin employee for, wait for it, insider trading. How it turns out, the inside traders, the short sellers, they were inside all along. Back on June 17, 2020, you know, the day before Wirecard would make public the missing billions, this Boffin employee sold Wirecard stock. <laughs> yeah, baby. In fact, the records the IC collected about the trading, and they are available if folks want to come riffle through them, evidenced a bit of heightened activity by multiple Boffin employees with respect to trading Wirecard shares. As Wirecard moved toward the brink, Boffin staff just couldn't help themselves. They bought and sold even greater volumes of Wirecard shares. Master of understatement within the IC, MP Tonkar, noted, the incident was another blow to Boffin's reputation. <laughs> Actually, Herr Tonkar, I think it's more of another blow to Germany in the notion of competent governance. And speaking of insider trading, remember Alexander Schutz? Deutsche Bank's chairman of its supervisory board, the one that told Marcus Braun he was a naughty boy, not touching that, and was called before the IC the other week to testify about the loans his institution continued to make to Wirecard, he who would not step down. Well, now Boffin is, quote, fact-finding into Schutz's trading of Wirecard shares. Apparently, there is now some suspicion Schutz may have acted on non-public information he held about Wirecard, particularly just as SoftBank was going to invest, sending the company's shares temporarily up 12%, and that's significant, and Schutz benefited from the options he took on those Wirecard shares. Mm -hmm. Schutz, who co-founded the Austrian, yes, Austrian, asset management company C-Quadrat, had thought through it Schutz had been buying and selling Wirecard shares, even as he was encouraging Braun to, quote, sink the FT for its negative stories about the company. Oops. We won't even begin to get into Schutz's involvement in Deutsche's deal with China and HNA. That's for another day. So 
now let's turn to what other interactions current and recent former German government officials have had with Wirecard. Now, if you've missed my coverage of Wirecard lobbyists and officials turned consultant in the recent past, quickly go back to episode 16 and 17, get caught up, and then rejoin. Okay, now, as I've discussed, not only is the German parliament holding hearings on Wirecard, so too is Austria's parliament. But there are also hearings going on at the German state equivalent level, particularly in lower Bavaria, where Wirecard was based. And some rather disturbing information has emerged from all three of these hearings. Now, I'll note the Bavarian State Parliament is sharing information with the Bundestag IC, and both investigative committees appear to be sharing evidence back and forth, and possibly, well, there's some evidence to indicate that even Austria is making its evidence available to the IC in Germany. So, now some of this information had started as a rumor by, in, by German media back in the early fall. But thanks to evidence and testimony being presented at the various hearings in the past couple of weeks, we now have not just confirmation, but new facts being added to the greater story. Let's start with yet another German government official joining the ranks of those who held lobbying gigs for Wirecard. Waldemar Kindler, former president of the Bavarian police and conveniently chairman of a working group within the German Ministry of the Interior, member of the task force of European police chiefs since 2007. You know, some of the folks who would be aware of investigations into money laundering by, say, mm, Wirecard, or know of inquiries examining Wirecard's connection to Russian intelligence and organized crime. Now, Kindler retired in July 2013, but by early 2014 was a paid lobbyist for Wirecard. No cooling off period there. Under German federal law, the Civil Service Status Act, and Bavarian state law, the Bavarian Civil Service Act, Herr Kindler was obligated to report any gainful employment he obtained for three years after leaving his government post. Now, unfortunately, Germany's top law enforcement official appears to have forgotten those laws as, during the reporting period, Kindler failed to report any employment related to or for Wirecard or any of its subsidiaries. However, he apparently was quite good at remembering he worked for Wirecard as he was known to talk about his consulting work and personal conversations with various and sundry people, including employees. And he certainly had no difficulty telling government officials he was Wirecard's lobbyist. No sooner had he begun working for Wirecard, he began arranging certain meetings and, quote, conversations, as he calls them, with various Bavarian state ministers and German federal officials, all on behalf of Wirecard. Now, one of the provisions with the Civil Service Act is an outright prohibition on any commercial activities or other employment if they affect the interest of the official's prior service. <laughs> as you'll soon hear, Herr Kindler seems to have not known the law well at all. Unsurprisingly, the IC's primary focus last week was on gaining a better handle on just how many Bavarian government officials were cozying up with Wirecard and who precisely facilitated those conversations. Among those invited to testify were the Bavarian Minister of State of the Interior, the head of the money laundering prevention at the District of Lower Bavaria, and Kindler. Let's sum up the response from the various MPs at the hearings. Disbelief and much shaking of heads. Even those MPs known to be friends of Kindler were dumbstruck by his vigorous advocacy for his corporate client. Now understand, Kindler was five times elected by his police colleagues from all over Germany as president of the police union. A professional who until his retirement in 2013 was committed to fighting crime. And he, of all people, went to work for Wirecard. Now, he told the IC he was proud of his life's achievements and did at least express some contrition with respect to taking on Wirecard, saying he was sorry that he'd fallen in with them. Hmm, how did he come to join up with Wirecard? Former CFO Burkhard Lay. Here's a brief synopsis of what came out, and really, it almost deserves its own episode. Kindler was paid 3,000 euros a month, or 36,000 a year, for providing strategic advice to Wirecard. And honestly, given how aggressive his lobbying efforts were, he was underpaid. 
Strategic advice looked like this in practice. <clears throat> Kindler opened doors to all levels of government. Why? Because, get this, and pay attention to this because it'll come back. Wirecard's management ostensibly whinged that they didn't think the company was well-known in government circles. So they claimed. Emails and diaries show Kindler repeatedly at Wirecard headquarters for meetings, meetings with managers and business partners, and dining with execs in pricey restaurants for years on end. In return, Kindler arranged all manner of meetings with the Bavarian State Chancellery. These included tours for official of Wirecard's headquarters in Ausheim. In July, 27, uh, July 2017, CEO of Wirecard Brazil and the executive VP of sales operations of Wirecard Brazil took part in individual meetings as is part of a trip to Sao Paulo led by uh, Beta Merck, Minister of State for European Affairs and Regional Relations. Kindler arranged meetings with the head of the Bavarian State Chancellery, Florian Hermann, including at one of these meetings with Hermann in November 2019, Wirecard's former CFO Lay and Alexander von Noop, then CFO, alongside Kindler. Now, recall, Lay, after formally departing Wirecard, served as the company's special representative and brokered contacts with state and federal officials as well. At the meetings with Hermann, the topic of the discussion was a presentation on the company as a new DAX member. Supposedly, no specific concerns were raised, but five months later, on April 4, 2020, via email, Minister of State Hermann informed Kindler that Wirecard could mediate the delivery of corona protection equipment from China. That's right, the financial services payment processor could mediate logistics of corona PPE from China. Oh, sure. Head of the State Chancellery of Prime Minister Marcus Soder also met that same trio only a day later, on the 20th of November. Again, a meeting initiated by Kindler, who would present himself as the state police president, despite having stepped down. Now, the Minister of State, Bernd Sibler, acknowledged that via Kindler, there were occasional meetings with Wirecard folks on the sidelines of, quote, representative events. But then, that wouldn't be surprising, given that back in 2015 and 16, Kindler had also received a request from Wirecard to approach Marcus Soder and allow a visit of the then Bavarian finance minister to the Wirecard headquarters. On one occasion, he wanted to address the then minister at an external meeting. Similarly, Kindler's success at getting Hermann's attention wasn't particularly remarkable given that Kindler was known to host dinners where Minister of State Hermann was a guest. At least for the dinners in 2015 and 17, the claimed purpose of the meals was to discuss the, quote, security situation in general, especially from a police point of view, or really, in his case, former police point of view. On March 16, 2020, yes, as Wirecard was capsizing, Marcus Braun's personal assistant sent an email to Minister of State Hammond, again, seeking intervention in securing Braun's cross-border commute from Vienna to Munich. So, because they're fairly close to one another, commuters are encouraged to carry a little certificate that shows why they need to constantly cross the border. Uh-huh. And that a Kindler apparently wanted to use a contact with the former Bavarian Prime Minister, Gunter Backstein, is at least clear from other internal documents that surfaced in the hearings. In other correspondence, Kindler appears to be excited when it becomes clear that Horst Seehofer would become Federal Minister of the Interior. Why? In the emails, he says, this would be good for Wirecard. Mm. But Kindler didn't restrict himself to just the state chancellery. Emails, telephone calls, and multi-day presentations were arranged for Wirecard with the Bavarian State Ministry for Economic Affairs, Land Development, and Energy, including with its head. Participating alongside Kindler, Burkhard Lay, and, oh, Suzanne Steidel, and an MD of Customer Care for Wirecard. Emails between Wirecard's legal counsel and managers within the STMWI were also catalogued. In 2018, Kindler facilitated for the executive board of Wirecard Bank contact with the head of the Munich Initiative, which led to the inclusion of Wirecard Bank in a major initiative by the German government. 
This in turn allowed Wirecard representatives to regularly attend working group meetings from 2019 until literally after the company's implosion. Really, they didn't stop participating until July 31st, 2020. Kindler arranged for Wirecard to handle a data collection effort by the ministry by asking Walter Jonas, then VP of the Government of Upper Bavaria, and in May 2020, the press office of the same agency was in contact with the PR manager of Wirecard AG about coordinating press releases. Why? Wirecard was being tapped to provide the digitization of applications for corona emergency aid. Now, the STMWI had to admit that they didn't really actually keep copies or notes of all these interactions with Wirecard, but as their written response stated, there were subsequent contacts, quote, enquiries and other information flows between its officials and Wirecard, including between an employee of the central department, the managing director and legal counsel of Wirecard AG. Hmm. Kindler also arranged for Wirecard's introduction to the Bavarian State Ministry of the Interior. Predicated on their meeting with State Hermann again, Wirecard sought a meeting with Herbert Aiwanger, Minister of State for Economic Affairs, Land Development and Energy. And again, under the auspices of introducing the company to Aiwanger, again shepherded by Kindler. Now, with the Bavarian State Ministry of Finance and Home Affairs, Kindler arranged for various meetings with departmental heads, along bringing along all those Wirecard folks, and each time ostensibly to present the company and, and its exciting e-payment product range. But Kindler was ministry agnostic. Through the officer of the Minister of State for Digitization in the Chancellery, he, he used Dortea Barr to approach the head of the Chancellery, Helga Braun. And after a call, a meeting with Mr. Braun with the Chancellor would appear in preparation, or so Kindler reported to Wirecard in 2018. Other meetings were arranged with various ministries, some that took place and some purely didn't just because of scheduling conflicts. Kindler was also asked by Wirecard board member, believed to be lay, to assist the company in, quote, a sensitive matter, that being attacking short sellers. The so-called attack would be coupled with the publication of an anonymous and defamatory and 100% false analysis. Okay, way to admit fraud. Lay wrote to Kindler and that the idea was to counter the fraud allegations by the short sellers by publishing their own fraud. Mm -hmm. So Kindler apparently dealt with the matter and suggested via phone call because of the wire card attack. He was still exploring all possibilities Kindler also apparently used his political and police uh, connections to advance Wirecard's China business. Yep, he was right there alongside Roller, the economics minister from the federal chancellery. Remember the one who advocated for Wirecard? So Kindler arranged appointments with Wirecard managers at the Chinese Consulate General in Munich and Frankfurt. And the inquiries, he also introduced himself as police president. Oops, gosh, that memory of his is tricky, isn't it? And gave his police contacts as references. Hmm, <clears throat> little economical with the truth. And at a meeting at the Federal Criminal Police Office, he followed up with an old acquaintance with a Chinese political with the police Chinese police attache who had organized political trips of the Bavarian state government to China and also worked with the embassy in Berlin. Now Clinders Kindler's close relationships with Wirecard's Lay, Burkhard Lay, led in the spring of 2016 to contact for Lay with Spitzberg Partners, the company of the former Federal Minister of Econ Economics, Carl Theodore Zugudenberg. Remember him? At an entrepreneur's meeting on Lake Tegersny, um, Kindler apparently introduced Gutenberg partner Gartska and an old acquaintance of Kindler's to his Wirecard client and to Burkhard Lay. Now, apparently, he wanted to get in touch with Gutenberg himself, and Kindler would note in correspondence, mission accomplished when he had. And it was this contact that would later help to initiate Wirecard's China business at the top level. Kindler had been in contact with high-ranking people on the company's board of directors since 2014, and he mediated Lay and Von Noop's initial meetings with Roller. 
Now, remember from the past couple of episodes, this was the appointment organized with and accompanied by Claus Dieter Fritsche, who in his career was deputy head of the federal office, protection of constitution, secretary of state of security, federal ministry of the interior, and then, of course, beginning in 2018, he was intelligence officer of the chancellery, then he retires and becomes a lobbyist for Wirecard and a consultant to Austria's intelligence agency. Yeah, it's all coming back to you now. So the, initi- the initiation and accompaniment of this conversation with the Bavarian head of state chancellery and federal counselor Hermann by Kindler raised a lot of questions about Wirecard's other contacts in the state government. Remember Fritschi was their lobbyist, as was Gutenberg, he of Spitzberg Partners. And remember, Spitzberg Partners was also opening doors and greasing wheels for Wirecard. In fact, there was also a direct exchange between some Bavarian state ministries and Wirecard, as the written response from the German Federal Ministry of the Interior attests. In 2016, the head of Wirecard's Central Asian Europe, uh, Central Eastern Europe, traveled to Poland as part of an economic delegation with the then Minister of Economic Affairs, Ilser Aina. Ha! And here Wirecard exacts claim no one knew the company, but that was back in 2016. And this is where it gets a little opaque, or hazy to use less of a loaded word. You see, Bavaria's interior minister, Hermann, didn't need Kindler to introduce Wirecard to him. Because back in July 2014, Herman had already received the then Wirecard CFO Burkhard Lay for a meeting. And the introducer was not Kindler. According to the state government, the door opener at that time was the former Schleswig-Holstein Prime Minister, Peter Harry Karstensen. Now, the Ministry of the Interior claimed the conversation with Herman Lay and an unnamed Munich lawyer who happened to be representing quite a number of gambling providers, but also a wire card. The conversation was all about gambling and addiction prevention because, you know, Wirecard, the payment processor, was in the business of helping to prevent addiction. That's a new business line. But that isn't the extent of it. Remember that business Wirecard was awarded with Kindler's assistance, the one with the Ministry of Economic Affairs where Wirecard would take over the digitalization of applications for COVID emergency aid free of charge as part of a sponsorship? Well, that wasn't Wirecard's first interaction with the MOEEA. Supposedly, company unknown to state and federal ministries, well, actually it wasn't that unknown. It transpires the wife of Wirecard CEO, Marcus Braun, had worked at times at Wirecard's marketing chief, off and on, huh? And she was appointed by the Ministry of Economic Affairs to the jury of a digital prize back in 2014, before Kindler. Okay, so let's turn back to Gutenberg et al. The IC had demanded agencies scour their calendars and meeting logs for any evidence they had held meetings with Wirecard or engaged with them for special projects. Now, we may never know the full extent because as some wrote in their responses, quote, in order to avoid a disproportionate effort to query and manage. The answers are limited to persons of the state ministries at management level who are still actively at the service of the Free State of Bavaria. It should also be noted that the request for a business relationship with subsidiaries of Wirecard can only be answered in such a way that no cooperation has taken place with companies in which the company name indicates it's affiliated with Wirecard. It's not known, really, Uh, There are also subsidiaries that don't use Wirecard, but then how would we know they were related? So we didn't search for those. So the searches were therefore limited to event-specific contacts of cabinet members of the state government, and only for the period of October 10th, 2013, through the request date, November 10th, 2020. Provided that after meetings and contacts, the state government with representatives of Wirecard AG or Augustus Intelligence the question is interpreted as meaning that only meetings and contacts are asked at, at which employees of Wirecard AG or Augustus Intelligence represented the respective company to the outside world. 
And then the Bavarian inquiry asked about contact between the representatives of the state government and Wirecard and Augustus Intelligence. What? A new name? Well spotted, listeners. But you do know something about Augustus Intelligence, or Augustus, because you remember both Wirecard and Augustus, the new name, were granted unusual government favor. Both have now been accused of fraud and corruption. But the common prime denominator between the two companies is Gutenberg. That's right, Karl Theodor zu Gutenberg again, the disgraced former Minister of Economic Affairs for Germany who sat on the board of Augustus and served as lobbyist to it along with his work for Wirecard. He who forged his dissertation and has again drawn attention for his lobbying activities. Gutenberg, you will recall from prior episodes, was able to open doors with the German Minister of Economics, Peter Altmaier, including obtaining Altmaier's participation at the Munich Security Conference in 2019 via his, air quote, consulting firm, Spitzberg Partners. Now, this is the same security conference Marsalek came to via Gutenberg and Marsalek's Austrian intelligence contacts. Now, understand, Gutenberg is old German pedigree. Mommy Dearis, a countess from her own family, remarried to Adolf Henkel von Ribbentrop, yeah, the son of that Ribbentrop, Hitler's foreign minister. Gutenberg himself is married to another countess, a Bismarck, as in former Chancellor Otto von Bismarck. Augustus was founded by a relative youngster, Wolfgang Haupt, but Haupt appears to be more of a front than holding any meaningful, meaningful role with the firm. Haupt, Augustus, is run by August Hanning, who headed up the BND, Germany's Foreign Intelligence Service, and oversaw internal security, federal police, and, yes, worked closely with Kindler. Alongside Haupt and Hanning, former head of the German Federal Office for the Protection of the Constitution, Hans-George Maassen, billionaire August François von Fink, and Philipp Amthor, a member of the National Legislature, an MP. What does this have to do with Wirecard beyond Gutenberg and the nexus to Kindler? Bear with me. Fink is the grandson of August von Fink, banker to Hitler. Now, we're not putting, we're not putting the sins of the fathers upon the sons, but the overlap of German current far-right politics with some of the involvement by Wirecard execs in also far-right Austrian politics and how both are being co-opted by Russia is a link here. Fink's family has contributed vast sums of money to German extreme far-right AFD party. Maaßen has worked closely with the AFD. And Hanning, as you see, Philip Amtor has also lobbied for Augustus and or is, I should say, was a rising star of Merkel's CDU party. Unfortunately for Amtor, he's now being scrutinized by the Bundestag for trips he took to New York, Corsica, and San Moritz as an MP but paid for by Augustus. Hmm. Did I mention he forgot to register the shares he held in that company? Why explore Augustus in this Wirecard discussion? Because Augustus raises what could be termed difficult questions. It appears to be less of a genuine company dedicated to building artificial intelligence along the lines of Palantir's, those are its claimed ambitions, and more of a covert intelligence operation. It has a U.S. presence staffed entirely by Germans, but there is little sign of it actually engaging in any real business. In fact, it's being sued by two former managers who allege corruption, fraud, and illegality. Now, recall the close ties Wirecard executives forged with Austria's far-right party? And recall Jan Marsalek's work for the Russians? Gutenberg crosses both Wirecard and Augustus, in, and it is telling. The AFD has been particularly welcoming of the Kremlin's anti-liberal, anti-European ideas. Whilst there exists no hard proof of the AFD enjoying financial support from Moscow, AFD treasurer Klaus Forman has never denied the fact that Russian money has helped the party. What is the attraction of kleptocratic Russia to right-wing parties in Germany and Austria? In appealing to xenophobic ideas, Russia seeks to promote destabilization of countries and political systems in the West via these far-right parties. 
and it's a political strategy designed to hollow democracy from out, inside out. As Russia wins support from Europe's right-wing movements, both European populism and Russia grow stronger. The rise of the far-right parties keeps European countries a little off balance and leads to division within, splits Moscow can leverage. Far-right parties such as Germany's AFD and Austria's FPO embrace Russia's conservatism, suspicion of Brussels and accusations of the West's corruption that has led to a loss of trust in its institutions. Lobbyists and sympathetic companies are a means by which to gain access. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has hosted AFD delegations, and in return, the AFD has advocated for Germany to embrace closer ties with Russia. Just think about Nord Stream 2 pipeline and the controversy that project has raised. Austria has, since World War II, held deep ties to Russia, with the country's political and business leaders frequently aligning with Russia for their own gain. In Austria, the key business sectors linked to Russia have ties to the state, strong corporate lobbies, or both. Austrian business leaders from the energy, finance, agricultural sectors are reliable advocates for Russian ties and are critical of Russian sanctions. Sanctions against Russia, that is. Former Chancellor Wolfgang Schuschel, for example, previously served on the board of the Russian telecom company MTS and now sits on the board of Lukoil. Former Finance Minister Hans-Jörg Schelling is an advisor to Gazprom. Former Chancellor Christian Kern, he joined the board of Russian Railways back in 2019. Moscow's also strengthened its ties with Germany's elite by recruiting them to work for major Russian companies. Think former German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder's work for Gazprom and Nord Stream. These appointments aren't by chance. Powerful former leaders still have the ears of their colleagues in office. A divided Europe is one less likely to support sanctions. It is one too self-absorbed to pose a security threat along post-Soviet country borders. And it's one that will allow Russian money to flow in. As one commentator, Fasnet, observed about Augustus Intelligence, quote, this is a strange mix of talent for a company focusing on artificial intelligence. But they all have one thing in common. They are or were German conservative figureheads. Examining Gutenberg's connections with Wirecard and Augustus Intelligence, one can identify a web that connects Gutenberg with active and former politicians, heads of state and governments, business and startups, investors, and Russian intelligence across Germany and Austria. Ah, like Marsalek. Let's turn back to Kindler, Gutenberg's colleague and fellow lobbyist. Because even when it came to giving a driver and a bodyguard for ex-Wirecard CEO Marcus Braun, uh, who wanted a gun for his driver, Kindler got involved. In fact, when Braun wanted his driver to obtain a gun carry permit, seriously, what did Braun think was going to go down on the mean streets of Ashaim? More insight into the active fantasy life of Marky Braun. Kindler stepped in to assist. The subject line of the meal, uh, email Kindler sent to Lay on June 10th 2017, reported success in obtaining the license, but saw, sought Lay's discretion about it. Even though the authorities had previously refused to grant such a concealed carry permit, Kindler changed their minds. The district office informed upon the request and said, oh, no, no, there had been no influence by Kindler exerted on this matter. Oh, <laughs> of course not. Now, this is likely why Kindler was really sought out by Wirecard. Kindler is regarded as a proven expert on organized crime, and for years he headed the Federal State Working Group Police. He also held deep connections to international security agencies. In 2012, for example, Kindler spoke at a conference on organized crime and corruption in Moscow. Bundestag documents indicated that upon leaving Federal Police Service in 2013, Kindler advised the Federal Ministry of the Interior on, quote, Police Reconstruction Assistance in North Africa. You know, where Libya is. Remember Marsalek and his meddling with his Austrian comrades on behalf of his Russian handlers? The role of Kindler raises two questions. What were the real issues? And why does a former state police president participate in facilitating, facilitating political connections that they don't actually need, as they already have them, with a company whose business is financial services. 
For Wirecard AG, Kindler provided important intelligence, even if unwitting. You see, Kindler brokered meetings for Wirecard Bank in the Landeskriminalamt, BLKA, of the State Criminal Police Office, the Federal Police Force, specifically with their National Department, SG-626, that devoted to investigating money laundering and stolen asset recovery. The first meeting Kindler arranged with the BKLA for Wirecard occurred in March 2018 at SG-626's offices. The individuals who participated from Wirecard? Well, only one, Marcus Cole Paintner, Wirecard Bank's AML officer. Now pay attention, listeners, because Cole Paintner's name is about to resurface. Also attending this meeting was the head of 626 and the head of Department 62 and a representative from the Cryptocurrency Department, 521, if anybody's keeping track. Kindler also attended what was this, uh, this two-and-a-half-hour chinwag. Now, Wirecard reps are said to have exchanged views with BLK experts, and they are said to have discussed money laundering prevention, laundering via cryptocurrencies, forms of organized crime, approaches to combat terrorist financing, electronic transaction monitoring, fraud prevention, and the outlook of anticipated changes in the area of money laundering. But as IC members pointed out, FIs don't typically enjoy long private conversations such as this with the BLKA, and no minutes of the meeting were kept. Kindler was a highly respected civil servant. I mean, from 2007 to 2013, he was president of the state police and thus chief of all police officers. After his retirement, he used his contacts for consulting contracts, of which he said he often had three or four running simultaneously. He classified all these activities as not subject to notification law because they had nothing to do with his previous work as police chief. Oh, sure, because brokering meetings with the police force to discuss money laundering by an FI engaged in laundering has nothing to do with prior police activities. He told the IC he, quote, slid into the wire card affair without guilt. Now, MP Council Kizeltepe retorted, I would have expected more care from a former police chief in finding business partners. The commitment to a fraudulent corporation by such a well-connected official, especially the top crime fighter in Bavaria, definitely caused unease in the various committees. As one said, MP Michael Bach said, you cannot deny that this raises concerns under today's auspices. The message from your behavior is problematic. Think about its impact on young police officers. As Matthias Hauer said, I don't think this has done your reputation any favors. No, particularly in light of what else emerged. Last week, German newspaper outlet Süddeutsche Zeitung reported that large amounts of cash had been regularly carried out from the Wirecard headquarters. In total, millions of dollars may have been taken out of the company over several years. Now, the Munich Public Prosecutor's Office is investigating, well, suspicion of money laundering, yeah, we knew that, and it is said the bogus bundles were put in plastic bags as to who got or received these large amounts of cash and for what purpose they were paid for, they were paying, we don't know yet. It's an ongoing investigation. But we should not be surprised by this. Why? Because more about the lack of oversight of anti-money laundering and wire card has emerged in the hearings. And you'll note some familiar names. The IC has been asking for months. A couple of weeks ago, they finally received some responses from various German federal ministries to questions such as, who had supervisory authority over Wirecard with respect to money laundering? I note, something I've been asking since I started this series. The Bavarian STMWI, yep, same agency, told the IC, well, see, Wirecard, it was on the DAX, and, and in our view, because it was on the DAX, that was more of a public interest company, so maybe Boffin? Uh, you know, previously the company was one of those expanding fintech companies, and 
you know, from professional circles, we, we well, we didn't think it warn, garnered any attention, it warranted any attention, so to speak. The reason for the lack of supervision in the Wirecard case is certainly to be sought in its particular physical location. The center of Wirecard, right, its network, it was headquartered in Ausheim, near Munich, which is located in Upper Bavaria. But due to the way the administration is established there, the district of Lower Bavaria is responsible for money laundering prevention. So while Frankfurt routinely has to deal with global operating financial services corporations, Wirecard was the exception. The Bavarian Minister of State for the Interior, Joaquin Harman, you know, he who has spent years meeting up with Wirecard execs, said at the hearings he did see a considerable need for reform following the events surrounding Wirecard. <laughs> you think? The hearing of witnesses revealed a number of reasons for reform. Quote, the need for legal changes can already be abandoned, he said. It was loaded because the Wirecard headquarters in this catchment area well, yeah, he admitted there have been gaps in competence in this. It would make sense for a company such as Wirecard to be subject to extensive supervision, he conceded. So, so far, that competence, it wasn't just fragmented, it didn't exist. The government of Lower Bavaria, in the meantime, <laughs> was in discussion as to who should be the competent money laundering agency. It wasn't them. They didn't have the competency. You see, because, you know, the company, as they said, it needed extensive oversight. And, and well, you hardly know it at all, hence the meetings getting to knowing them, they said to Hermann. Wirecard didn't fall under the relevant definitions, Hermann said. The Federal Financial Supervisory Authority, Boffin, well, they weren't competent. Oof. So the IC interviewed another local official, and he confirmed Herman's account. Quote, we did not have financially oriented DAX groups under our supervision, said Martin Moltzer. Now, Moltzer's responsible for money laundering prevention in Lower Bavaria. The problem is, when problems became apparent at Wirecard, he went to Boffin in Frankfurt for coordination, but he didn't receive a response. You see, the structures in Bavaria and the size of Wirecard, it was too much for Lower Bavaria. Typically there, money laundering prevention officials deal with businessmen of small caliber, you know, the ones that deal in second-hand goods, and jewelers, other mer merchants who handle cash. The agency typically just offers businessmen forms and advice on the appointment of a money laundering officer, Moltzer said. It was purely from the first stage prevention his authority had nothing to do with specific investigations against criminals. According to Moltzer, the whole thing didn't come up as an issue as being responsible for Wirecard until after he was contacted by EY. He assumed Boffin was responsible. I mean, after all, if, if they weren't, well, I don't know, they were a local technology company, right, he said? Florian Tonkar, MP, said, if you weren't responsible, no one was responsible? Malter said, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> so in February 2019, an employee from EY actually contacted Malter's office with a question about Wirecard and specifically about money laundering supervision. And until 20 February, they'd had no contact with Wirecard because, well, it wasn't an issue, said Maltzer. However, he contacted Boffin via email seeking clarification on who should supervise Wirecard because, well, in his mind it was financially heavy and his agency didn't have the right experience. And, hey, these EY people were asking. But he left his request and it went unanswered for months. Boffin justified this inaction on the basis of a, quote, tent staff situation. Yeah, they were all too busy day trading their wire guard shares. Shortly thereafter, Bavaria declared a disaster because of COVID, pulled together all its forces to work on PPE, and, chairman, and did nothing. 
chair of the ICK Gottschalk was apoplectic, saying, if a catastrophic disaster happens in Bavaria, there will be no money laundering supervision? Minister Herman referred to the situation citing coronavirus, an event essentially Malter and his team, yeah, they just stopped working. In the absence of a response from Boffin, Malter wrote to EY and said, yeah, well, if Wirecard were trading in shares in other companies, I guess we could, we could have oversight. Uh -huh. In the end, it turns out that a large part of Wirecard never had any money laundering supervision. Boffin took care of Wirecard Bank, and Herman told the IC the patently obvious, quote, it would make sense for a company such as Wirecard to be subject to comprehensive money laundering supervision. However, the current law doesn't provide for this. It's a loophole. It's an unsatisfactory state of affairs. Oh, obviously, current control structures are not sufficient. No one higher up in the Ministry of Interior, the Ministry of Justice, or even German FIU looked at this structure and said, hmm, we need to strengthen this oversight. No one saw a problem. And then there's the issue of Harman who had met with Wirecard repeatedly, so would have had some insight into the size and activities of the company. And so now we turn back to Cole Paintner, Wirecard's compliance and AML officer. Research by German media outlets WDR, NDR, and Süddeutsche Zeitung identified emails between Cole Painter and Jan Marsalek. Now, the emails referenced Cole Painter's concerns about Ukrainian entrepreneur Dimitro Furtash. Who was Furtash? He's one of Ukraine's richest men with gas supplies between Russia and the Ukraine. He's also purported to have deep political ties to the Kremlin. Billionaire oligarch who is, according to diplomatic cables from the U.S., at the dead center of the greatest corruption operation in the Ukraine's history. A few years ago, Furtash was targeted by U.S. investigators suspecting, and he was suspected of money laundering and being associated with Russian organized crime. In fact, for the past six years, the U.S. has been fighting an extradition battle with Austria, where Furtash lives, to stand trial, to extradite Furtash to the U.S. to stand trial for bri bribery and money laundering claims. But Furtash is wanted for more than just the bribery scheme. In September 2019, remember one month before Lev Parnas was indicted on campaign finance charges related to Donald Trump's election? Parnas's wife received wire transfers from a bank account in Russia. The sum was $1 million and the source was a lawyer for Furtash. And that's according to the U.S. prosecutor's filings. Furtash has been connected to Paul Manafort, Donald Trump's former campaign chair, and he's seen by Ukrainian anti-corruption activists and Western governments as a corrupt instrument of Russia. That Furtash. Cole Paintner's emails to Marsalek summed up his concerns about Furtash, including multiple outstanding arrest warrants from the U.S. and Spain, money laundering, corruption, etc. And why was Cole Paintner writing to Marsalek about Furtash? Because he was advising Marsalek against opening wirecard bank accounts for Furtash. Undeterred and upon the recommendations of Marsalek, Wirecard Bank opened at least nine separate business accounts for Furtash only weeks after Cole Paintner's email. According to the emails, by early 2020, there was evidence of wanting, uh, of wanting to open some 30 additional accounts for Furtash. Now, at least some of these accounts are now under investigation for, oh, go figure, money laundering by the Munich Public Prosecutor's Office. How did Furtash get past the AML gatekeeper at Wirecard Bank? Allegedly, Marsalek maintained a, quote, list of customers he put personally transferred to the bank. Some of them were for folks in the online gambling business, largely those based in Malta, go back to episodes 4, 5, 6, and 7, or of companies belonging to wealthy Russians seeking to evade sanctions or who were already under investigation for laundering. Now, the BKLE, BKLA, is said to be methodically working through this list of accounts and names and matching them up with other known laundering efforts. Whilst it isn't known if Marsalek and Furtash know one another personally, Marsalek was the force behind approval for all of these dirty accounts. Cole Painter said in testimony that he tried to fight it, that it made him physically sick, but eventually just grew resigned. 
and his acquiescence may have been helped along. As it transpires, Marsalek charged more than 3,000 euros a month to manage and not monitor Furtosh's accounts. Each account, the usual monthly fee for an account at Wirecard Bank, 25 euro. And speaking of he who was vanished, Mr. Clean himself, Jan Marsalek, it also came to light that a donor back in July 2020 contacted the Lower Bavarian State Chancellery and provided information on, wait for it, aliases for both Jan Marsalek and Marcus Braun, along with information about their forged passports and bank details. Only the Chancellery didn't move that information along. Gee, I wonder why not. And here we have it. Germany fell prey to Wirecard's lobbying to the extent the country became, for a time, a corporatocracy. There's a well-identified progression of corporate lobbying that begins quietly, but when left unchecked, uninvestigated, and unregulated, ultimately leads to corporatocracy, that is, an economic and political system controlled by corporations or corporate interest. It is a form of plutocracy. You've sometimes heard of it as crony capitalism, but it's more insidious than just cronyism. It deserves its name. What happened at Boffin was regulatory capture, and what the lobbyists and their still-in-office cronies did was facilitate and perpetrate Wirecard's crimes against investors, against the German state now left picking up the pieces, and against German citizens. Many historians, economists, and political scientists have written and commented on corporatocracy. As far back as 1816, Thomas Jefferson warned the New Republic to, quote, crush in its birth the aristocracy of our moneyed corporations which dare already to challenge our government to a trial of strength and bid defiance to the laws of their country. Various EU-based anti-corruption organizations have tried to combat the power of corporate lobbying in the EU. In a report, TI confirmed that the EU and the majority of the EU countries that they looked at do not have mandatory registries of lobbying activities. Instead, voluntary transparency registries are used, but it's often inaccurately filled out or simply ignored, and it falls far short of reaching the aims it purports to pursue. And when those registries do exist, well, they do seem to corroborate the fact that big corporates, consultancies, and law firms outnumber and outspend civil society, trade unions, NGOs. Lobbyists are paid to influence the decisions of government, and typically they operate behind closed doors through quiet negotiation with politicians, oftentimes former colleagues. Access is key. This doesn't always equate to influence, but deals can only be dreamt up once access is achieved. Access to politicians can be bought, and it's not always a cash deal, but rather an investment is made in the relationship. Build trust, offer help, accept favor. The best way to shortcut the process of relationship building is to hire politicians' friends in the former form of ex-employees or colleagues. There is the perception, at least, that decisions taken in government could be influenced by the reward of future employment. It's a concern that's been expressed for the best part of the last couple of centuries. Today, however, the number of people moving through the revolving door is off the chart. The increasingly intertwined relationships between politics and business, between public and private sectors, poses serious risk of regulatory and policy capture. While most countries will have some sort of cooling off period like Germany before public officials can lobby, almost none have effective monitoring and enforcement of the revolving door provisions. In many countries, MPs are even exempt from the cooling off provisions. Only by ensuring that governments enforce regulation and actually challenge and crack down on unethical and illegal practices when these are revealed will we have a system in place which ensures that when it comes to political agendas, people come before profits. For democracy to work, the rules must be rewritten to prevent corporate capture of government. And that's it for this episode. A teaser for next week, the IC also questioned one of the investigating chief prosecutors in the committee. Yeah, Ooh, can't wait for that. And in a forthcoming episode, we'll call it the Real Housewives of Wirecard. 
I'll be taking a much closer look at the roles Bronze, Hausers, Rollers, Gustenaus and Bowers' respective spouses have played in being the fronts for related entities and so-called consultancies through which Wirecard played its games. My thanks to Tom Fox and the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. I'll be back next week with another installment of Lies, Spies and Corporate Crimes, The Wirecard Saga. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Wirecard Saga. The Wirecard Saga is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to visiting with you again in the new year. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>